today, not because we've got it all together or because we're so perfect, but because we need you, that you are our righteousness, that our defense is only in you and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And so this morning, God, we ask that you would continue to bless us with the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word this morning so that we know that we are hearing from you about who we are called to be, what we are called to do, and how we can be your church in this place where you've planted us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kurt, and I am one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. We'd encourage you to hang out after the service is over a little bit. We have some free coffee for you at our Mission Mochas out there. You can pick up a a card at the uh, info booth and uh, head over there, and we'd love to treat you to some coffee and get a chance to meet you and find out a little bit more about who you are and what brings you to Faith Covenant Church this morning. Uh, We are in the second week of our new series called Shift. And uh, if you have been around here this summer, you know that God has been actively at work in the lives of our kids this summer. We've had so many different activities going on from a middle school mission trip to VBS with all of our preschool and elementary kids. And we sent our high school kids on a a triannual youth conference trip back to Tennessee where they had a chance to hear about God and to worship God with other high school kids. And uh, we're hearing stories that it was a powerful, even life-changing experience for many of them. And their theme for the week was called Shift. And so we have picked up that theme, and because as we know that God is working in the lives of our, our children, we recognize that we also are children of God, and that God calls each of us to be open and willing to allow His Spirit to shift our perspective on who we are and who He's calling us to be, to shift our attitudes about our neighbors and uh, those people who are sitting next to us in the pew at church, about our community around us, and a mission that he's giving us to do. And so as we are moving forward toward the end of summer and anticipating uh, the end of what we're calling our listening campaign, where we're seeking a, a sense of mission and vision and direction from God for who we are as a church, we want to take some time to ask ourselves, to challenge ourselves, to see if we are willing to allow God to shift our hearts and our minds again in this season, to open ourselves to that new thing that maybe God wants you to be a part of as we sense where he's leading us as a church. Last week, we talked about how shifting our relationship with God is the starting point to to have God's word, God's truth, God's love totally change our perspective on who we are and who he's called us to be. And today we recognize that shifting our relationship with God necessarily then leads to a shift in our perspective on our relationships with other people. We may not always see eye to eye with other people, right? But following the humility of Christ, the Bible tells us, we can always walk hand in hand, even when we don't see eye to eye. As a result of shifting our relationship with God this morning, I want to suggest that as followers of Jesus Christ, we can also begin to shift our perspective from me to we. As a key aspect of our discipleship surrounds how we value and treat the other people around us, from people in our own church community to our neighbors who we live with in in our community outside the church, to our friends, our colleagues at work, even to those that we live with in our own house, our husbands, our wives, our own children. If we want to follow Jesus' model for relationships, then we need to shift from a worldly perspective that uses other people for our benefit to a a new way of using our lives for the benefit of others. 
And what we'll see this morning is that the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Philippians that when we make this shift, we will begin to shine like stars in the night sky, shedding light into the darkness of a world that is lost and hurting, is looking for hope and looking for answers. We're going to look at Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 18 this morning. We're going to start by just reading uh, verses 1 through 4 where Paul is talking about if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a part of the community of faith, you should be encouraged by that. You should find some inspiration and some hope by your identity in Christ. And he says, therefore, if if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So let's pause there as we look at the larger portion of Philippians here. And, And I'd like to talk a little bit about the younger generation. We often talk about the younger generation as being the future of the church. But as I've talked with youth pastors over the most re- more recent years, there's a, there's a recurring theme that I hear from youth pastors where they're, they're frustrated with the adult congregation in the church that, that wants to look at our kids and our youth as the future of the church. And they say, no, that's not the right way to think about it. These are members of the church today. These are, these are people who are a part of the mission of God today. They have gifts to use. They have abilities to serve. They need to be included completely in our understanding of what does it mean to be a community together. You see, too often over the the decades, I think we've bracketed out youth ministry and children's programming as as somewhere we can send our kids to a specialist that we call a a youth pastor. And and the youth pastor is responsible to disciple our children and to to teach them the word of God. And that hopefully if they're they're good enough and they're qualified enough and if they're smart enough, they, they can transform the lives of our children. All the while, the biblical idea of community is one that includes children and teenagers, young adults and older adults. And I think too often we miss the value of being community together in a world that has often grabbed the hearts and minds of our own kids before we can even get to them. See, young adults today are much more communally minded than we want to give them credit for. I think it's too often the, the older ones of us, the boomer generation, who've lived through the, the me generation and the narcissistic American type of mindset that we, we, we don't realize that our kids are growing up in a different world than we are. With social media and interaction being at, at your fingertips, our kids today are much more socially minded. They're sharing everything. Now, that can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Sometimes it's inappropriate to share everything. But with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I mean, community is just on your phone. It's on your computer. It's on your iPad. And, and for those of us who didn't grow up with technology, we don't, we don't comprehend that. We don't get that. But for them, it's part of the air that they breathe. It's part of the lifestyle that is drawing people together in social networks where relationship is happening. 
And you see, if we as a church are not there, if we're not in those social spaces where our kids are interacting, where young adults are finding community, we're missing a whole opportunity to teach them about what Jesus and the Bible says community is really all about. A quick tweet, a simple text, and everyone knows exactly what's going on in your life. Many things in our lives have been shoved into the private realm. And now in today's age, we have the opportunity to go public with our faith in ways that we didn't even have opportunity to do just a few short years ago. See, I think it's important for us to understand that Christianity is not a personal religion. It's not a private religion. It's not something that our culture wants to tell us we should just go do in our own private closet and pretend like it doesn't impact the world around us. Sometimes it's easy to think of our own faith as something that's just between me and God, but the Bible says that God from the very beginning has called us to be a people, to be a holy nation, a a group of people, a faith community that's set apart to be identified as those for whom he is going to use to share his love and his blessing with the whole world. Now, sometimes I think it's easy for us to think about living in community as a church as something that should be easy, right? That's community. It's, it sounds good. And yet, we all know that relationships are one of the hardest things that we ever have to do. From the very beginning, Christians had conflict with each other. That's why most of the New Testament was written, right? Churches were in conflict, and the early apostles and the pastors and the teachers were going, oh my goodness, we're supposed to be loving each other, and we're beating each other up. This isn't how it's supposed to go. See, it turned out that loving each other and being unified as a people and as God's people was much harder than anyone thought. And the reality is that it still is for us too. As Christians, we argue with each other and we fight with each other just as much as any other group. And and the challenge is that 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 impacts our ability for the world out there to see our testimony as being valid and true. See, we need to always be asking ourselves and we always need to be asking God, how can we be doing better? How can we shift our relationships with one another in a way that allows us to always be improving in our ability to demonstrate the love of God for one another so that we are shining like stars in the universe? In this passage that we're reading today, Paul tells us that the key is not to start with ourselves, which is, again, always our American temptation. But we should always start with the example of Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 5. He says, In your relationships... With one another. See, he's identifying that this Christianity thing, this following Jesus thing, is all about in our relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
This is the the amazing Christ hymn that Paul uh, taught is the attitude of Christ that that can be our attitude as well. And then he goes on to say, how does this play itself out? If we're really following Jesus in this way, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What can we learn about our own story from Jesus' story? What can you learn about your story this morning from Jesus' story? How can we, as Paul said, have the same mindset among ourselves as we're interacting with one another and we're sharing and joining our stories together as a faith community? How can we begin to live into the same purpose, seeking not the best for ourselves first, but the best for others? Now, Paul is really wordy. (laughs) Let's just be honest. There's a lot there. But Paul's advice is, is really simple. Paul says, if you want to follow Christ in this way, if you want to have that same mindset and demonstrate his attitude in your relationships with one another, don't be selfish. Don't start with yourself. Start with the other person. Don't don't put others' needs or your needs ahead of others' needs. Think about what is it that they need first. Don't walk around complaining all the time. Don't be argumentative. Don't make every issue into a debate that there's winners and losers. How often do we get into these difficult situations in our relationship because we're always putting our own opinion first, our own needs first, and if we could just take the time to say, what do you want? What do you need? What's important for you? Would we eliminate a lot of that animosity and that defensiveness and that need to control the situation because we think that if we don't get there first, then somehow we're going to lose out. You see, that is, the, that, that is the survival of the fittest that has crept its way into our culture and we're conditioned day in and day out that we're supposed to go for number one first. And that if we don't step out and, and take care of ourselves, then no one else is going to be looking out for me, right? It's look out for yourself first. The Bible is saying that Jesus has modeled a completely different way of living in relationship with other people. If we live in a community where each person is looking for the needs of others first, then what happens? Everybody's needs are ultimately met. And you eliminate all of this fear and anxiety about living in a a sense of competition for scarce resources. And we begin to believe that God can supply all of our needs. We work out our own salvation through our relationships with one another. But it takes practice and it takes effort. Because it doesn't just happen naturally for us. 
See, when Paul asks Christians to be like-minded, he's not saying we have to agree on everything. He's not saying that you have to make yourself a doormat and just accept what somebody else says. That's not the attitude that he's talking about. He's saying that, that we have to treat each other with love and humility and grace and a servant's heart. And if each of us is treating each other that way, then we can get to what our real needs and our wants are, and we can trust each other to want to meet those needs. It's the mindset that Jesus had but it's easier said than done. You see, our society grooms us, right, to do exactly the opposite. The world tells us that that, that we need to, from from childhood, be thinking about our own status and our own success and and measure ourselves against the, the status and the success and the wealth of other people around us. And if we're not measuring up, then it's our job to go out and grab more. Selfishness is almost a virtue in the Western world. But... We have to turn all of that upside down if we're to have the mindset of Jesus. I remember when I was a teenager and we were living in Chicago and uh, we were at youth group there and I was uh, in uh, early high school and we had a, a new kid who, who moved in from out of town and he joined the, the youth group and, and, and he, his name was Eric and he was awkward. He was probably six foot four and uh, skinny as a rail had this mop of hair that kind of came down over his eyes and he kind of walked like this and was very shy. You could hardly get a word out of him. And and people just kind of avoided him because it was just awkward. You know, he was so isolated and alone. And and, and I I felt like, man, somebody has to reach out to this kid, but, but I don't want to do it. I mean, he is not cool. And it's not cool to be with somebody who's not cool because it rubs off on your coolness, Right? And yet I, I couldn't get away from, from, from this need to, to have to connect with him. And I, I, I can't say for sure. I don't remember. My mom and dad are actually visiting with us this morning. It may have been part of their influence to say, hey, you need to, you need to call this guy. You know, he's new in the community and somebody needs to befriend him. And so I, I, against my better judgment and kind of with fear and trembling, I, I got on the phone and I called Eric and we set up a time to get together and connect. And you know what? Eric turned out to be one of my best friends. He was a cool guy. If you get below the hair and the awkwardness and the isolation, he loved to ride motorcycles. He invited me to go out to the track and ride you know, motocross. He taught me how to, to ride dirt bikes, and we had, we had the best time. And, and what I discovered is that the Bible is true. If we don't think of ourselves first, but we see somebody who has a need and we're willing to step across our own barriers of coolness or awkwardness to be open to ourselves that maybe God can use me to be a blessing, we're blessed in ways that we never could have asked for or imagined. And too often, I think we get busy in, 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 in the rat race of American life, trying to, to get the job done and to meet our deadlines and to, to fulfill our social calendars that, that we, we put on these blinders to the people who are right around us who might be in need, and we might have exactly what they need, that if we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to shift our mindset, to shift our perspective, to see the needs of those around us, then we can begin to respond And we experience community in a whole new way. See, having the mindset of Jesus isn't about us just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying to be better Christians. The reality is that the the good news is that we don't have to do it on our own. 
See, when we get our relationship with God right, he says that we receive the Holy Spirit, the spirit that Jesus had in us to give us his heart, to give us his love, to give us his mercy and grace to share with other people. So we don't have to somehow manufacture that in ourselves. If we're staying connected with God, then he allows us to use his resources to share with other people. See, having the mindset of Jesus isn't just about trying harder. It's about being in tune with God and staying in connected relationship with him. Remember John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If we stay connected with Jesus as the vine, that's when we have the spiritual power to fulfill this mission that he's given us to love one another and to put the needs of others first. See, when we're in tune with God and his priorities, and we, have, we don't feel the need to have to grab power and control for ourselves. We don't have to desire to be in charge. I remember in youth ministry years ago, and we would bring in new uh, adult counselors to work in the program. And one of the things that we realized we had to do early on in the training is we had to uh, train them to, to change their attitude in, in how they approach ministry. And, and, and the way we talked about it is we, we say, well, when you come in and you start working in the youth program, we want you to change from having a here I am attitude to having a there you are attitude. And that was so significant because so much of our lives were conditioned to, to call attention to ourselves, to, to say, hey, here I am, love me, talk to me, come, come and, and, and share my interests. But if we're going to share the love of God with our teenagers and with our other adults in the church, we have to begin to develop a there you are attitude which has the eyes and the heart to see those around us and to be willing to go from where we are to where they are to, to ask good questions, to find out what's going on in their lives, to, to find out what's underneath the surface. Because, you know, we're conditioned to have those immediate responses, right? Hey, how's it going? Great. Yeah, right. Now, sometimes we're great, but sometimes we're not. But sometimes we don't know if we're not great, right? Because you get the same response. How's it going? Great. Because we're not trusting. We don't have a sense of community where we can be real and honest with one another. And I can tell you that our teenagers are even more in a difficult spot because they don't know if they can trust those around them in their schools, in their churches, even in their own homes sometimes. And so we need counselors. We need adults who get it, who can create that safe place to say, how's it going? And to really want a genuine, honest response, who can understand and be sensitive and say, we're here to walk with you through whatever you're going through. Sometimes even in our service in the church, it can become more about me than about you right? Sometimes we get into service in the church, and we're, we're willing to serve. We respond to the call, but, but, but subtly, it's really more about trying to get praise for myself, trying to, trying to get other people to share their, oh, great job. You did so good. Oh, thank you. Aren't I such a good Christian? Because I, I'm serving other people. And that's the real risk. That's the real temptation, is that we can even serve God, but do it for selfish motives without even realizing it. Sometimes we have to recognize that God calls us to serve others without recognition, without return, with no value seeming for us, with nothing in it for us. And yet when we do that, 
Even when no one else knows, God says there will be a blessing for you that no one else can know or understand. When we're in tune with God and God's priorities, it's our joy to serve others sacrificially, to give generously, to look for the needs of others before the needs of ourselves. It's our desire to build other people up. It's not about placing ourselves at the highest place. It's, it's about realizing that the highest place isn't as important as we thought it was. In fact, the higher you, you climb, the farther you have to fall. Rather, it's impo- what's important is taking our place, walking alongside one another so that we're all moving forward together. In this season ahead, what would it look like for us to truly be a church that doesn't exist for ourselves, but for others first? What would it look like to be a church that truly exists for others? One of the things that we've been talking about, and I've heard different people mention in our listening campaign, is that, you know, we really want to be a church that reaches younger families and families with kids, and and we want more teenagers to come and be a part of our youth group. What shifts would we need to be willing to make as a church in order to be a church that is able to attract younger families, to provide for the needs of of young families and marriages, and, and helping parents to understand how to navigate the difficult waters of this changing culture that really develops young people and, and helps them to see that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives? What are the things that we might need to be willing to shift in order to be a church for young families? At the same time, in the same conversations, we, we, we hear that we want to be a church that honors our elderly honors those who have spent their lives sacrificing time, talent, and treasure to help keep this church alive, to make this a place where people can come, that we could even have a building and a campus where young families could come to today. What would it take for us to shift our perspective to be a church that, that honors and values the older generations within it? What would it take to be a church that that recognizes that those who are not dead are not done and they have valid work to do? They are relevant today. (laughs) And maybe even more challenging is what would it take to do both of those at the same time? We have some challenging questions ahead of us as a church and we have some amazing opportunities to to step out in some new ways and to accomplish ministry and mission for God for people who are are feeling isolated and alone, just like my friend Eric was, who maybe are in this church today and feeling disconnected and without a place of of, of belonging or, or, or a place to serve, not knowing how God wants to use them. Maybe, just maybe, if we allow God to shift our perspective, we could become that place where everybody who comes here has a place of belonging, a place of safety, and a place where they can discover God's purpose for their lives. How do we shift from a mindset of our experience of church as being a competition among ourselves for the scarcity of resources to being one of mutual blessing and allowing God to bring his storehouse of blessing so that it's infinitely expandable for everyone that God would want us to serve? See, we need to recognize that this kind of community takes every person participating. There are no bench sitters in a Christian church that is living the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no A team and B team. We don't just pay staff people to do ministry and we come and participate. 
right? Ephesians 4 says, Christ gave some to be apostles, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, there is work for us to do. And maybe in this season ahead, God is going to shift our perspective to see how we each can step out in some new ways to participate in this mission that he's given us. Finally, I'd like to close with recognizing that Christians should not just be just like everyone else. Right? Christians should not be just like everyone else. There should be something that allows us to stand out, something that is different. Maybe even if people can't put their finger on exactly what it is, more people are one to Christ by the love and the hospitality and the grace that Christians have shown over the centuries rather than our doctrine and, and our preaching and, and all of the things that are more in competition with those around us. We should stand out because of our honest humility, our servant nature, and our grace for everyone. We should stand out not because we're so awesome, but because the one that we serve is so awesome. And if our heart is in the right place and we recognize that we're not here because of our awesomeness, but because of his awesomeness, then that gives us the humility to serve one another in those amazing ways. And our lives become about practicing how to be more and more like Jesus. And if we do that, Paul says, we will shine like stars in the universe, shining the light for others to see that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives too. May we discover how God wants to shift our perspective on our relationships with one another and how we can be a light in the darkness of our own community. Would you pray with me?